This is the Nourishing Nutrition Podcast, and my name is Eleanor Dooley. I created this podcast to inspire, empower, and advocate for your best self. I combine current nutritional research with the practicalities of living your life, giving you real nutrition talk in bite-sized pieces. Please remember that I am a licensed dietitian nutritionist and certified nutrition specialist. I am not a medical doctor, and by listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you might be having. Welcome everybody to the Nourishing Nutrition Podcast. I'm Eleanor Dooley and I'm coming to you this week to talk about gut health and I have a very special guest and a dear friend of mine, fellow practitioner uh, named Daniel Powers. He's a nurse practitioner and we've worked together in many different settings throughout the years and my career as a nutritionist and we've always found common ground when talking about the whole body and the reasons for healing. And it was this reason that brought us together because he practices in the more conventional side and I am in the more functional side. So now we're coming together to talk about how conventional medicine versus the functional testing and what the differences are. And also we're talking about the GI map, which is if you haven't heard of it, it is a stool test that can tell you the state of your gut, which is everything from bacteria to fungus to yeast. And if it's present in your gut, then that means it's present in your body and it can manifest itself in many different ways. Everything from chronic urinary tract infections to nail fungus to dandruff and all of the gut and GI symptoms that traditionally associated with gut problems. So I created the program, the 21 day gut healing challenge as a way for you to get an opportunity to get a GI map test and a 60 minute appointment with me. So we can go over what to do about it. It's one thing to get functional testing, but it's another to actually get a plan of action on how to rebalance. So that's included. You also get a 21 day challenge, which is a small little challenge every day. You get an email and an audio file from me that takes you through the basics of how to detox, how to clean up your house, how to clean out your fridge, how to clean out your pantry, and just getting you ready to get your results. So when the results come that you've already addressed the issues that we tend to overlook. So that is what's going on this week. You can go to my website to check that out. It is launched and registration is open. So I hope that you take advantage of this opportunity. And without further ado, this is my conversation with Daniel Powers. Today, I'm here to talk about gut health with my ex-partner in crime, Daniel Powers. We used to work together um, about four years ago now, I think. Um, seems like much longer, but c because we've each gone through two different practices <laughs> in that yep. time. 
But uh, Daniel is a board-certified family nurse practitioner specializing in adult internal medicine and weight management. He currently works for a large care management company as a senior director of clinical program design and clinical operations. He has interests in both nutrition and functional medicine, and he is a dear friend and colleague of mine. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming. Of course. So excited to be here. Yeah. Um, I invited Daniel on here. We were actually just talking, um, you know, offhand and he was talking about a podcast and I said, well, I'm, I'm talking about gut health this month. And I know that's a topic that's near and dear to your heart. Um, not only personally, but in the practice and clinical settings that you've seen. So I thought it was a perfect opportunity for us to have a conversation about what you've seen on the quote, conventional medicine side, with your functional medicine flavor. Um, so thank you for coming today. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about you and why you wanted to come on here? Yeah, so I kind of have this 360 view of um, gut health because of my personal um, struggles with my own gut problems, um, as well as seeing this so much in clinical practice. Lots of people with gut issues out there that have no idea why it's happening. Nobody can figure out what the, the source or the cause or the solution to what their issues are. And so it's definitely something that needs to be tackled, I think, outside of conventional medicine more because of that. Sometimes more conventional practitioners just don't have the in-depth knowledge nutritionally and functionally to know how deep to dive into this stuff. So. Yeah, and that's exactly what I want to talk about today, because the first thing you said, a lot of people have these issues, but a lot of people don't even know that they have them, which is the the part that you and I are really trying to scream from the rooftops is you might not know you have it because it doesn't always look like X, Y, mm -hmm. and Z. It doesn't always look like diarrhea or painful bowel movements. And we're going to get into all of those kinds of manifestations today. And yep. so you previously worked at what we call a concierge practice and yep. uh, specialized in family medicine. Can you tell us a little bit about the patients that you would see and like what they would walk into your office with? I don't like the word they say complaints, but with the description of what they're feeling and kind of what for me, it's like formulaic in my head of, oh, if you have this, this, and this, I'm trying to connect the dots. And so can you tell us a little bit about how you connect the dots when someone walks in with, say, you know, uh, skin irritation? They got a rash that won't go away. Let's start there and, and kind of yeah. unpeel this onion. Yeah, when we are taught in conventional medicine, like in nurse practitioner school, doctor school, physician assistant school, whatever school for conventional medicine you go to, we learn something called differential diagnoses. And the big emphasis on that is what's the main complaint and how can you relate that to pathologies that are most common in the body? Most common being the key word because not everything is so black and white. So sometimes it's hard for people who are very black and white learners to once they get into practice, learn outside of, oh, well, you're sneezing, you don't have a fever, so you must have allergies. Right. That's always the cause. It can be other stuff. You could have a polyp. You could have a hair that's grown too long in your nose. Like, it could be literally anything. That's, that's like an off, off, very off topic yeah. example. 
Um, it could be things like that. But the biggest thing that I see with people with gut issues are vague symptoms that seem to be linked to common things that you would think of in differential diagnosis, but it doesn't always present so classic. So one of the biggest examples is skin issues. A lot of skin issues get kind of touted as, oh, you just must have eczema, or maybe this is psoriasis, or maybe you just have an allergy to something you came in contact with. But I've also seen lots of people who they end up with just simple itching, and then it leads to skin ulcerations. And then it ends up that months and months and months later, when it could have probably been identified a little bit earlier, had there been a different perspective, they actually had some sort of intolerance to a food and that was kind of causing those issues. Really? So I don't know if, if, if you can answer this, um, but how does an imbalance in the gut create skin issues? Like what is the connection there? Because I always feel like if I can connect what's happening inside my body in my brain, then I can, I'm much, I'm a much better practitioner, but I'm also yeah. a much better self-diagnoser when uh, something happens. So do you have any insight on that? Yeah, I think this is twofold. So one is biological imbalance. So imbalance in the bacteria that naturally exist in various places on our bodies, in the gut itself, on the skin, within the skin, in the bloodstream. But it also has to do with how everything kind of starts. And I think you and I have this very common bond is that everything is inflammatory. Everything that is wrong in the body is some sort of inflammation of some sort, because that just that isn't something that should be naturally happening in our bodies. So sometimes when we ingest foods, our gut kind of has its own immune system and that most of the immune system, about 70 percent or so, is in is the gut. So when we eat things and our gut is upset with what those things are that we're eating or we have tissue damage in the gut, some of those foods can sometimes leak through into the bloodstream travel elsewhere and cause issues. They're not the same issues for every person, obviously, but for the example of the skin, it might be that you have an imbalance or an intolerance to, let's say, um, some sort of wheat. And that wheat uh, particle, because there's damage to the tissue and the gut, can seep through that, that tissue and get into the blood. We shouldn't have food particles in the blood. So because of that, our body responds with an immune response. And all immune responses start with an inflammatory process. Where that happens depends on the person. But let's go with the skin. What can happen is, is travels to the skin, skin bacteria get imbalanced and then things start to happen because what's supposed to be there isn't there and what's not supposed to be there is now there and you get sort of rashes ulcerations and it's we're talking about blood which is everywhere yeah right yeah and so what you were saying if i'm understanding is when we talk about systemic inflammation we don't know where that's necessarily going to manifest in you or somebody else but we right. know that it's an inflammatory response so yep. for somebody out there coming in going i get i get really bad headaches that never really go away they're you know that's that's a little a flag for you and i to go huh that there's some sort of imbalance causing that that to happen same yep. with like skin rashes and we could even take this a step further with, oh, we can connect that to, oh, you have, you know, chronic constipation issues, you know, perhaps detoxification issues, which also I was thinking is also connected to the skin because the skin is a, yeah. is, is our largest organ and it's a detoxification organ. Yep. Yeah. 
It is. And so if if we're not able to process or break down toxins and we're trying to push them out of our skin, that can cause irritation, acne, you know, psoriasis, eczema. So when you come to when you come to practitioners like us, those are the things that we're thinking. Not necessarily what ointment can we slap on the problem? Would you agree yep. with that? Totally agree. I will I'm the first to say yes, let's let's treat this with what we know will get you some relief. However, there are other things to look into, especially if this continues to recur over time or worsen, then there are other things that are maybe more internal that we need to consider than just saying, here's a cream, just continue to use it as long yeah. as you need it. And I absolutely am 100% getting, I am a proponent of getting relief for the person. If they're constipated, if we can get them unconstipated, <laughs> then the body can actually relax and not be operating in an inflamed state. So we have a better opportunity to test at that point than yes. to test somebody who's in, in a flare or in a, in a wildly inflamed state. So the instant relief I am a proponent of, um, yep. and, and like you said, then, then we can, we let things calm down. Then we can actually look underneath the hood and see what was causing that. Yeah. Um, also kind of rules things out too. Like if, if it is something that's just common, that'll be treated with an ointment, then the ointment will work and then you won't need to do anything else. But yeah. if it's some kernel, it's going to come back and you have to explore what that might be. Right. So if someone had come to you and said, I have been experiencing this for decades, right? Yeah. And I've tried every cream. I've tried every medication. I've been to the dermatologist. I've been to the gastroenterologist. I've been to all of these things. Yep. Um, that's the point where the functional testing is the most effective. And yep. so what have you seen as the best testing for like sort of this kind of stuff, the things we're talking about, food allergies, inflammation, digestion issues. What have you seen that that is effective testing and affordable? Because most of the time, these are not covered by insurance. Yeah, usually not. Sometimes you can get them covered, you know, depending on what insurance you have and how good of a policy you have. But most of the time, yeah, you're out of pocket, at least, you know, 100 plus, you know, bucks per test. Yeah. And if, for a lot of people, that's very uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially Me included. <laughs> yeah, true. Because sometimes you don't even know, like, what's it going to tell me? Right. Is it, is, it worth, is it worth the information I'm going to get to pay this to get the test? Um, some, some, uh, testing that I've done in practice that I've found to be really helpful is, um, one food sensitivity testing. There's a, a test called a fit test, F I T food inflammatory testing. Basically you give blood samples and it looks for in the blood, those little particles and those antibodies to the foods that may have formed because of leaky gut or damage to the gut tissue. So it can identify, because like we were talking about before, once that happens in the gut and it leaks to the blood, those antibodies are forever. You're going to you're gonna kind of keep those as long as you're having the response so that you'll be able to detect those in the blood. If someone's having acid reflux, which is a really, really, really common complaint that I would see all the time, there's SIBO testing, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth testing, which is basically like a breath test that you can do to detect abnormal bacteria levels in the small bowel. How does that come out in your breath? So basically the bacteria produce 
the, their their chemicals, right? Like they overproduce whatever it is that they're giving off as waste. And then when you to get rid of that, when you breathe, your lungs get rid of that excess chemical. And so that's when you blow into the bag, that's kind of what that's detecting. Okay. Um, and the same with H. pylori, that's the other kind of counterpart to SIBO. When you want to detect H. pylori, two different ways, breath test, which is similar method to SIBO. Um, and then for H. pylori, there's also stool testing that you can do because they also give off their waste into your, your stool. H. pylori, not so much common here. People who travel a lot, like to the Middle East, India, South Asia, I would get more concerned with those type of people, like business people that travel a lot to mm-hmm. those areas, have these concerns about chronic reflux. SIBO is more common than more than people think it is. Um, right. Because you could be walking around with you or I could be walking around yep. with SIBO and, you know, not feel our best, but not feel bad enough to have to shell out a couple hundred bucks sure. to fix it. So right. what do you think is that tipping point for people when they're like, okay, I'm all in with the testing. Cause I, I just, I'm fed up with conventional methods, not working. Yeah, I think personal experience for myself and for the point in the spectrum of patient care that I would see patients that would finally be like, what else can we do other than these conventional methods would be the biggest one was either they've got a new symptom in addition to the original that they started with. And so they start to panic because they're like, it must be affecting more systems than just the one that I was starting with. And it must be another problem that no one else is able to find. Or they experience a worsening of their current symptom and they get really nervous that something's being missed and they'll come in and say, what other options do I have? What testing can we do? Right. And that's when I turn to, to these things. I think one that we missed in talking about that was gut mapping. So GI mapping, what bacteria currently live in your gut, what's overgrown, what's there not enough of, that can also be a valuable test as well. Yeah. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the gut map, uh, GI map, because that's what I, I'm starting to work with, with a lot more patients yep. in the 21 day gut challenge, because when I did it on myself, Wow was it eye-opening because I, like I said, I didn't have these quote unquote gut problems, but what was found in mine was the different levels of bacteria that were so Mm -hmm. low or so high that now with that information, I can trace it back to, oh, that is why I didn't feel well when I did this or did that. And, and so it, it is powerful information for people to really that are seeking, I, I want to be healthier. I want to feel better. Yeah. I want to, I want to age in a way where every day doesn't get worse. Right. I think that's all of our collective hope. Everybody like, wants yeah, yeah. comfort, right? Like nobody wants to constantly feel like something's wrong with their main part of their body that does everything every time you eat, every time you snack. I'll have to do that with you, I think, because I think that was the only test that I probably haven't done. Yeah. And think that would be so interesting to find out because I, I even still to, to this day have some GI issues and I'm like, huh, I yeah. wonder if it's linked to the, uh, the bacteria. So, yeah. Um, and, and another important thing to note was when you were talking about the little food particles that are systemically in the blood because of the leaks in the mucosal barrier that we have, and also yep. the membrane that protects our insides from our outsides. And we refer to this as leaky gut, or clinically it's called intestinal permeability. When we see these tests, it's important for people to know that 
when they get the allergy testing and the antibodies are present, let's say for bananas, right? I always use this as an example. Oh, like you cannot eat bananas. Like they are just not good. You have antibodies present, your body's fighting these bananas. Well, it's important to note that if we were to repair the lining, mm-hmm. right? And the mucosal barrier, perhaps yep. you could eat bananas and they wouldn't yep. get into your bloodstream. Yep. So I have people come into my office with, you know, thick stacks of allergy testing that says, I can't eat anything. And they just plop it on the desk, like fix me nutritionist. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, first we need to reduce the inflammation. So yes, there are a lot of things that your body is reacting to right now. And if we repair the lining slow and steady, then you will be able to eat these things again. So creating a hope for people that have severe allergies is, you know, we're getting, you can get extreme, you know, the ends of the spectrum, extreme ends. But what I'm talking about for the general majority of people that are like, I don't feel good when I eat bananas. And I'm like, okay, let's not eat bananas, (laughs) right? (laughs) Let's get you some testing and see if the barrier, because that's the, on the GI map, that is the, the coolest thing that it measures is what is happening with that barrier. Yep. And so while we're actually talking about barriers, the acid reflux is such a big topic because when I was in nutrition school and I found out, hey, guess what? Lowering stomach acid doesn't solve many problems. So can you shed some light on what acid reflux is and from your own personal experience and clinical experience, what, what it, what's going on here? Yeah. So when we eat food, our enzymes that break down those foods start to signal to the stomach that it needs assistance in breaking down what we're eating. So our body starts to produce acid. For the person who produces the correct amount, it comes and goes and never causes a problem, right? You have these little sphincters that lead from, you know, there's two of them, one that leads from your esophagus or your the, what you swallow through to the stomach, and then one that leads from the stomach to the small intestine. The one that leads from your esophagus into your stomach, that one tends to be the one that is um, the, the trouble with the people who overproduce acid. And I say overproduce acid now, but you know, speaking of of that, it's not always overproduction. It can be that you're not producing enough acid too. And so your body will just find other ways to produce more acid. So then you have this feedback system of, you know, people who are taking these medications, Zantac, you know, Omeprazole, all of the Zol medications. All the commercials with like, eat all the tacos and the pizza, because you can just take a pill and forget about it. Right. Well, and, and, you know, modern medicine says that that's the answer, right? Is you must be producing because your throat is burning and your stomach is burning. There must be too much there causing it to burn, which is true. It can happen. Absolutely. It, which is true. That can happen, but it can also be there because your body doesn't naturally produce enough when it's supposed to, that your body signals you need to just overproduce because it's all, it's too low. So sometimes what we can do is give people supplementation of acid, which sounds so counterintuitive to the person that's thinking about burning. it medically. Yeah. Who's like, it's yeah. burning. Why would I drink acid? I don't want to do that. No, thanks. Why would I 
or burning. But if you can do that consistently over time and pr- and get your body to, to have that naturally normal amount of acid it's supposed to have, it will stop that influx and deflux effect that you get with heartburn and acid reflux. So the answer is, is that it's, it is not always that you're overproducing acid. A lot of the time, especially people who try antacids and never get relief, it is because they are producing not enough acid. And therefore uh, the medications and over-the-counters are further making yes. the acid less making your digestion even less effective and more painful because you already don't have enough and then you're putting this medication in that tells your body oh well don't make more anyway so yeah and that's uh, that was one of the biggest kind of heartbreaking (laughs) struggles when i i found this in nutrition school i'm like wait a minute why why are doctors prescribing this i have clients come to me have been on ppis which are proton pump inhibitors for decades Right. And clinically, if you read the instructions, which nobody does, those aren't (laughs) meant for longer than three months. Correct. Yeah, they're not. So for anybody listening, if you have been on a PPI for longer than three months, you need to to reevaluate. There's another Um, problem. Yeah, yeah, there's another problem. And disclaimer, you need to talk to your doctor about weaning. If, yeah. if you do, in fact, want to do that, because that is not something that you do cold turkey. It's not something that I talk to people about. I, I educate and I let people make their own decisions. But I want people to know because we do a lot. We have a lot of assumptions in when we're handed a medication that it is for the greater good of our whole body. And oftentimes yeah. that might not be the case. It might be a symptom relief in the moment but causing bigger problems. So yeah, any good modern practitioner that knows that it's just not all black and white would offer these people to wean because like you said, weaning is absolutely necessary because it avoids that rebound reflux that people get that then will put them back on the medication to get the relief. Right. Because they can't take it anymore, right? No. They can't take it anymore. You got to taper off slow. And then any good practitioner is going to offer these people who have had these symptoms for so long, something called an endoscopy, just to ensure that what they're experiencing is not related to maybe an ulcer or stomach cancer. Or tissue damage of the esophagus. Right. Something that needs a different intervention. Those sort of things, especially before you go to more holistic treatments, you should definitely rule those out um, just to be sure that it's not something that's more of a red flag that that can be identified visually. So they kind of put a camera down there. They look around, make sure it doesn't look like there's um, tissue damage, ulcers, growths, that type of thing. It's this is not to scare anybody, obviously. It's just more so to say, you know, before you start putting hydrochloric acid down there to treat low acid, let's make sure it actually is low acid and that there's not something else in the stomach going on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Uh. you as a nurse practitioner, we are required to look at all aspects and and try to really not have this tunnel vision that I felt like I've run into when seeking care. An example would be when I went to my gynecologist and I said, you know what, I'm having these menstrual migraines and I called them menstrual because they were in sync with my cycle. And I kind of intuitively put the pieces together, although, I mean, it is my practice, but you know, I, I I didn't tell her that I was in this practice. I just kind of wanted to see how it was going to play out. What do you think? Right? Right. Because for those of you that have had a migraine, pretty much any relief, you'll take it. If you get to the deep depths of despair and mine were so bad that the only relief I could find was vomiting. 
So put that together. So obviously not sustainable. Obviously something is way off balance. This isn't just a minor inconvenience. So that's the time when I go to the doctor, right? When I just can't, the supplements are one thing, the diet's another thing, but I I have, I need. You're like, oh, these causing me to vomit. I should probably go. <laughs> yeah. Cause my, hu- my husband, you know, like the middle of the night is like, what is going on? I'm just like, <laughs> Oh my God, just, it's so much pain and, yeah. you know, sympathetic and, and very educated. But she said, you know, I can give you something for the pain. And I was like, well, that's nice. And I, I thank you very much. Now what? And there was no, now what? Yeah. And that was the part where I was like, well, well like, <laughs> but I'm going to still get them. Yeah. But now you have the, the, and for me, that was a turning point of how do I use functional testing to get the now what answers for people? And so how do you see stool testing or the GI map testing that we've been talking about? How do you see that working for the quote unquote normal person that just has a couple things? Is it beneficial for people to invest in and what kinds of outcomes, the possibilities are endless. Like, what do you, what do you feel that you would be a proponent of telling people about? Yeah. And now that we're having this conversation on your podcast, I'm like, huh, (laughs) I'm going to sign up (laughs) because everyone can benefit. Right. Um, Not a spokesperson for any sort of testing, but I, as a practitioner and as a person who has a functional medicine flair, I would definitely say everyone benefits from stool testing to find out what your gut map looks like. People think about gut mapping as bacteria overgrowth, but not always that. It can be undergrowth, kind of like we've talked about before, like you identified something that was too low. You know, you can get symptoms from something being too low. Your stomach has a natural environment that it should maintain for the most part. And whether things are too high or too low can cause gut symptoms. And so if you're having food intolerance, bloating, general discomfort, even if it's just, you know, gassiness every other day, like that is something if it's bothering you that you should look into. Yeah. Uh, Weight gain, acid reflux. Onset diarrhea. If you go out to eat, I've had patients come to me and say, every time I go out to eat, I have to know where the nearest bathroom is because I have immediate diarrhea. Yep. And I think there's a lot of sort of this shame and guilt kind of twisted into our brains that it's somehow our fault that we went out and had, you know, a, an unhealthy meal and therefore yep. we're, we're having the diarrhea or, you know, and so you and I are both practitioners that really see people as they are and you are not at fault for the way your gut is reacting. We just need to find what it is, right? We need yep. to we need to shine the light and go, okay, there is fat in your stool. So that tells me that your body's not breaking it down. Right. Right? It's not that you're a bad person because you eat French fries. It's <laughs> let's make sure your body's making the enzyme. Yeah. That, yep. that so you know there's a lot of you know, in recent years of of wellness and this sort of orthorexia that you see people sort of being obsessed with being healthy because it's under the mask of, well, it's healthy. So there is no other way. And so I like to, to say that we're people, we're humans. We do, sometimes we make poor health decisions, right? And it's not a chronic suffer. That's uh, okay. chronic, yeah. A chronic state of suffering is not an acceptable payment 
for living your life. And, and that's really long-winded way of saying like, that's the point. Stool testing can help everybody. Even if, let me just tell you, the, the practitioner that I work with now, she's been doing this for about 15 years. She says she's never had a test that didn't have something to talk about on it. Okay. Oh yeah. And it, it, yeah, in all aspects of hormone testing, gut testing, even blood work, right? Blood work can come back and you're within levels and everything's fine. But there's yep. always something to go, okay, I probably could do better in this area or that area. And so when, you know, just to kind of wrap this up, when you were talking about the vagueness of, you know, brain fog, that's not really a symptom that, that, that you would tell anybody unless it was so debilitating that you couldn't yeah. get out of bed, right? But it's yep. there. Yeah. Any small thing that you kind of notice that you have can be linked to, to something, whether it's bothersome and you really want to pursue it is your, you know, your own decision. Yeah, yeah, of course. But when you're thinking about symptoms that you might have very regularly that you're like, this probably isn't normal, but I can live with it. Yes. might be looking into if you're just curious, even if it's not bothersome. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that is, that is the reason I created the 21 day gut healing challenge. It certainly is for people that are having gut issues that are, are just debilitating and, but it's also made for people like me and you that could benefit from the overall information that's provided because there are little things that now I'm very much aware of that maybe I don't have this such severe intolerance to this food. I just, my lining was, was worn down and yes. let me build up the lining and now I can occasionally enjoy these foods. So, you know, there's, there's hope. And um, I feel like the food allergy business has gone through the roof because a lot of people have leaky gut and yep. they want answers and they want, they want to be told what to do. And yep. this is just a fresh holistic approach. And I'm just so grateful to have a conversation like this with you being a quote unquote, uh, conventional practitioner, but you also understand that it is a whole body. All of the systems work together. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, no, this was, um, this was great. Yeah. Um, yeah, lots of, lots of there. We could go into this a lot, I think. Yeah. <laughs> like we could have a second podcast part two that goes deeper into this. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Um, well, thank you for coming. And yeah, um, I hope, and Daniel will be back. So yeah. thank you. If you are interested in learning more about me, my practice, and my programs, you can follow me on Instagram at your.hormone.nutritionist. You can follow my Facebook group, Happy Hormones and Tamed Inflammation, or visit my website at nourishingnutrition.net. Check out my free resources by subscribing to my newsletter and following this podcast. See you next week for a brand new episode.